0: Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests, retired Army Major Harlene Guteau and retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Hunsaker, author of Angels in Combat Boots, a book about the first women's cross-country team at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Harlene and Chuck, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll start by setting up this episode for the audience. West Point. For 173 years, it had been an all-male institution, training cadets who would graduate as second lieutenants in the Army. In 1975, President Ford signed into law that women could apply to attend service academies and also graduate as second lieutenants and enter the Army. As Chuck mentions in his book, a lot had to happen for the first class of women who arrived in 1976 for our day. Plans were made for women to integrate in regards to living arrangements, uniforms. Would they be in the same company of women or integrated with men? And so on. Harlene, you were in one of the first classes of women to attend and graduate from West Point, and were also a member of the first women's cross-country team. And Chuck, you are the first women's cross-country team coach at West Point. And as you point out in your book angels in combat boots, there were varying degrees of doubt if women could even complete a three-mile run. Which seems ridiculous today, but in 1976, that was a legit concern by some of the faculty members and cadets. So let's dive into all this. Not many people know this, but I did four years at West Point. But that's because my dad was stationed there when I was in middle school. And we lived in a housing area behind Mikey Stadium. My dad worked at Keller. Uh, But joking aside, Harlene, you really did four years at West Point. So share with us what your experiences were like growing up that led you to the academy and the cross-country team.
1: My father went to Annapolis, although he was out of the service when I was born. But still, we always grew up with go Navy, beat Army. So when women were first allowed to go to a service academy. He strategically took me to his Naval Academy reunion, which kind of planted the seed that this was very cool. Something was special going on there. In fact, I remember the old grads were yelling up there what class they were in and the midshipmen were yelling down their classes. And I kind of got into the act and I yelled up, 82. Well, 82 wasn't even a class. So there was kind of a pause. And then one of the midshipmen yelled, 82. So maybe that was a little foreshadowing, although I I did end up at West Point versus the Naval Academy.
0: And you had a special introduction to Coach Hunsaker prior to attending West Point as a high school student running a meet at West Point. Can you share a bit about that?
1: Yeah, that was really neat because I had applied to West Point and I also applied to the Naval Academy, but I was kind of just a number at the Naval Academy, which really irritated my dad. But when we're going up to West Point and meeting Coach, I could tell there was something special going on there. I felt like I belonged there and I really didn't feel that way with the Naval Academy at that point. And my dad was quite okay with that. Although he was pretty upset at his alumni for not going ahead and promoting a, a grad's daughter.
0: Were you, did you have brothers, had, like older brothers that went into the military, or is this just something new that you were doing in your family?
1: I had a, I was the oldest of three. Okay. In fact, my brother, two years below me, told me I was crazy going to a military academy, that college should be
0: fun. <laughs> and then two years later, he joined me. At West Point. At West Point. Oh, wow. Okay. And you had run track in high school or cross country? Both, yes. Right. So at that time, that was a really non traditional path into the military. And Chuck, you also have a very non traditional path into the Army. And I know this is a compressed bio, but let me intro you here. You graduated from Capital University in Ohio, where you excelled as a track athlete and were also in Air Force ROTC. After graduation, you didn't enter the Air Force, but coached men's track at the University of Cincinnati and later at Southwest Missouri State University, where men's and women's track teams coexisted. You had a successful tenure as a coach, but were having issues with the athletic administration, so you looked for another position and applied to be the men's track coach at West Point. You didn't get that position, but through serendipitous events, you shared all this with an army captain friend. Phone calls were made, paperwork was signed, and at 32 years old, you got commissioned into the army. Around this time, women were being accepted into West Point, and they were looking for a coach for a women's team. More calls were made, and you reported to West Point in January 1978. Does that sound right?
2: Yeah, that is, uh, that's absolutely correct. It's, uh, it's certainly not the normal way that that things happen. When I was in college, uh, I was kind of in this dilemma. Uh, I really enjoyed ROTC. But when I got to the end of my sophomore year, you know, you had to make a decision at that point in time that you were going to go on active duty if you went into the last two years of ROTC. But I had this, this idea that I also wanted to be a track coach. And so I was torn Do I want to go in the Air Force? Do I want to go in and become a coach? Uh, And I think the thing that actually probably at that time pushed me over the top was, of course, I was in the Air Force. I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, We had to take the flight physical, and my left eye wouldn't pass. So uh, I said, well, if I can't fly, I don't want to go in the Air Force, so I didn't.
0: Right. So you decided to coach track. And at a coach's clinic, you struck up a conversation with Gary Truce, the track coach from the University of Cincinnati. He convinced you to coach with him while you're pursuing your master's degree. And well, this is your story.
2: It just so happened that Gary left right before school started and a new coach named Paul Armour uh, came in. And so I spent two years there at Cincinnati. I got, initially got my master's degree and then I stayed on at Cincinnati as the assistant coach. Paul Armour ended up leaving for another uh, job and recommended me to be the head coach. So, uh, you know, I got to be a head head track coach at uh, a Division one school at at twenty six, which was well, it was pretty cool. You know, I mean, from my perspective,
0: it is cool. And you talk about being at the right place at the right time. So, how did Southwest Missouri State come about?
2: I was lying in bed about a week later and the phone rang and it was the athletic director at Southwest Missouri state. And he said, you know, we've heard about you. We'd like to interview you to be our, our coach. Uh, So talked it over with my wife and that was a great opportunity. Let's let's go hear what they have to say. So we, I went to, went out there, uh, was interviewed. They offered me the job. And so we left and went to Springfield, Missouri, and I was there for six and a half years uh, as a coach. Yeah, had we had some, some really good teams there. Well, we were national champions once. We were national runners up twice. The cross-country team had become the best team in the history of the school. But it seemed like the, uh, the athletic director, who incidentally had been the track coach before me, that's one of the things that attracted me there. I said, you know, here's a guy that's been the track coach. Uh, so he's going to, you know, look at track a little differently than if he had coached something else. But it was almost like there was a jealousy that we were doing so well, and so every year they would do something that would make it more difficult for us to stay competitive. It was just extremely frustrating because I, I couldn't understand why. Uh, now, I, I heard later that there were some, some boosters that were putting pressure on the athletic director about why is this cross-country guy doing so well and you know the other sports aren't doing quite as well. Uh, and so at any rate, I, I was sitting with his friend, Gary Goff, who was a, an army captain at the time, and he was in the ROTC department. And I, I kind of mentioned to him, you know, hey, you know, I went through our, or I went through two years, at least, of ROTC and I was in this dilemma. Do I want to be a track coach? Do I want to be in the military? And, you know, I sometimes wonder if I made the right decision. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, why don't you come in the army? And I said, oh, <laughs> Gary, come on, you're joking, you know, I'm. I'm uh I said, Gary, I'm 31 years old. That uh you know that's not gonna happen. He said, Well, you know, it might. So the next day I'm out of practice and I see this army officer walking down the track to Orby. And I'm, what the you know, what the heck is that? And I as he got a little closer, I could see it was Gary, and he walked up and he said, Hey, I made some calls today. Uh, you know, we can get you in the army. Well at the time, well, I guess they still have this. There was a program in the military that was called the direct appointment process. It was used mostly for doctors and they, they looked at your at your background and then based on your background uh, you could come into the army at a, a higher rank than second lieutenant and so you know i when the paperwork came i sat down with with gary and we went through everything and, and uh one day this letter arrived and it said uh, you know in short you know congratulations captain hunsaker we're offering you a commission in the army as a captain It also is interesting, you mentioned the fact that, you know, I had been interviewed to be the men's coach at West Point, and one of the guys who interviewed me was Colonel Jimmy Anderson, who was the head of the physical education department. I think there were about five people that were involved in that interview, and he was one of them. Somehow, he found out that I had gotten commissioned in the Army, and he was at the time on, on a special committee of how are we going to integrate women into athletics. And I think I mentioned this in the book, but, you know, when you look at the planning that went into women at West Point, uh, it was a really constrained time frame. I mean, not all that had to happen in in less than a year. And you talk about all the the myriad of things that had to be, you know, worked on. And that first class was going to be pretty small. It was only going to have I think the plan was somewhere around 125 women that they were going to let in. So you're not going to do much with an athletic program, 125 women. So, so the sports piece was, was not something that was really planned. And, and that's not a knock on anybody. I think that's just reality. You know, it just, it, it couldn't really be. So, you know, as, as the second class got there you know, they said, okay, now we're, we're getting more women, you know, Sports at the academy is such a big thing. You know, every every cadet and athlete, every athlete challenged. So how do we start this women's athletic program? Well, there were no budgets, and there were no coaches. Yes. Well, Colonel Anderson happened to be on that committee, and he said, well, you know, we interviewed this guy, Hunsaker. Uh, he was on our shortlist for the men's job. You know, he's commissioned. He's got a, He's a captain in the Army. Uh, he can work in my department, and uh, he could be the first track coach for us. And he can help get the program started. So I actually was running a swimming pool at the university over the summer. And the the telephone call from West Point actually came to my house. So my wife got the call. Of course, we didn't have cell phones or any of that stuff. And we didn't have a telephone at the pool. And she actually <laughs> ended up calling the campus police and saying, you know, please go over to the pool and get my husband <laughs> Uh, tell him to go to his office. He's got to get an important phone call. So <laughs> I'm sitting at the pool and one of the campus police guys comes up and says, uh, Hey, coach Hunsaker, uh, you need to get to your office right away. You're going to, you're going to get an important phone call. Well, you know, what's the first thing you think? Oh my God, something happened to one of my kids or, you know, what's going on. And I I dropped what I was doing. I ran over to my office and uh, phone rang and it was a guy named captain uh, Bob Frank from West Point And he said, uh, he said, Captain Hunsaker. And of course, i that took me by surprise. Nobody called me that, you know, at the time. He said, uh, we want to call you to active duty. Uh, we want to bring you into the physical education department at West Point.
0: Yeah, and that story is so wild because the chain of events that had to happen for everything to come together like that, you just can't make this stuff up. And what's also interesting is that you were entering the army as a captain And learning the ropes of military culture while at West Point, just as a new class of cadets were arriving in 1978. And bringing this back to cross country, one of the comments in your book is that women had a lot to prove, and part of that was through PT. And as we know in the Army, that's running, which is why I joined the Air Force. (laughs) So I'd like to hear from each of you what that was like. Harleen as a new cadet, and Chuck as a new coach of the women's cross country program, because there were also uh, groups that you were divided into gold, gray, black. So can you speak a little bit about that whole dynamic? I think the
1: biggest thing is we wanted to feel like we belonged. We didn't want to feel like any lesser than the guys. So running came natural. And actually we didn't think anything. I know the gals on the team, a couple gals, black group, was where we meant to be because we were runners. And we really didn't think about, oh, we have to prove ourselves the black black group or anything. We just were trying to survive and black group just kind of came natural. Was Um, black group the fastest? Black group was the fastest group. So yeah, that was just, uh, came kind of natural to us to just do that. But we didn't realize that so many people were watching us as wow, they were in the black group because For us, it just was where we meant to be. That's we were runners and that was the group that was going to challenge us. But to every other eyes, they were like, whoa, these women can keep up. What about this? They're not in the slower groups. We're not picking them up by the side of the road and carrying them or anything like that. So I guess that was the first sort of attention that we got that we were kind of, I hate to say it, oblivious to, because
0: we were just doing what we thought we should be doing. So how did that placement happen to categorize you into the black, gray, or gold group? On our day, was there like a a test run or did they just throw everybody into a giant formation and whoever led the pack, that was the black group? And how did they differentiate that? I honestly don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think
1: everybody kind of started in the middle and then you kind of in one big blob and then you kind of like some were more to the front and some more to the back. And then they kind of said, all right, you go here and you go there.
0: <laughs> well, I remember reading in the book that it was a real, that was a real issue that even the athletic director didn't think women could run three miles.
1: You know, interestingly, this is, I learned things in this book, okay? Things like that about the athletic director that just floored me, I'm sure it floored you too. But I really owe it to Coach's professionalism that we, as the track women, we never knew this.
0: Hmm. So
1: uh, the things that happened behind the scenes that Coach was fighting for us, I really, really credit his professionalism that he didn't go ahead and say, well, girls, you know, you." you know, you got to keep up because, you know, the athletic director doesn't think you can run or all these obstacles.
0: Sure. Chuck, what were your experiences like that on the faculty coaching side? Well, I think, I
2: mean, initially, you know, when, when you talked about women going to the academy, nobody really doubted the fact that women could handle the academics. Nobody really doubted the fact that they could handle the leadership issues. Now, there were some questions about, you know, do we want can we allow women to be in charge of men? And, you know, there were some (laughs) dilemmas like that because, you know, early on in the army, even though you had women in the army, you had the women's army corps and then you had basically the men's army corps, you know, they, they were separate and then eventually they got, they got integrated, but that, that was a big issue. But, the question that everybody had is can they handle the physical requirements? The athletic director did tell me as I was working through the, trying to set up the schedule and so on, he said, I, I don't really understand why we have a women's country team and I don't women can't even run three miles. Or he, he did make that kind of a comment, which was kind of interesting because quite a number of years before Carolyn Schwitzer had run the Boston Marathon. So, you know, if, women can run 26 miles. They can probably muddle through three. You know, I mean, that was, it, he didn't understand that. I mean, and, but at any rate, I, I don't know that the, the faculty really doubted the fact that women could run three miles, but there was definitely a doubt that women couldn't keep up physically. So the first actual opportunity to run is in the first morning then that you're there. You know, you come in on our day, you process, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you do PT. well, at least early on, the feeling was that the gold group was really the women's group. You know, the, the women are gonna all have to be, be back in, in the gold group because they're, they're not gonna be able to stay up with the men. You know, there were, there were men in the gold group, there were women in the gold group, uh, but there were also men and women in the black group.
0: And Harlene, you were in the black group, the fastest running group, and were on the cross-country team, and that is so much running. (laughs) And uh, when we spoke prior to recording this episode, you mentioned that the women's cross-country team created an unintentional sorority at West Point. Can you speak a little bit more about that?
1: For us, cross-country was an escape. It was an escape from the riggers and all the men, and we were (laughs) just a women's group. We, were, we became friends and it was a real treat, quite frankly, to be able to go on a trip section and go compete at another location. That was a real treat for us. It was like an escape from West Point. And you were just a group of women that's competing with other women there. And as it turned out, we had more success than we thought we would have initially. And success kind of breeded success and confidence as we went along. And so that naturally brought us together. It was a great sorority, <laughs> like, like you were saying, it really was. You know, when you had problems, those were the people you talked to. Of course, um, Coach was very understanding. Um, sometimes, Academics actually uh took priority over cross country because he didn't want us to fail out. But all in the end, we all stuck together.
0: And Chuck, being on the coaching faculty administrative side, what conversations were you hearing about this, about women being in all the different running groups?
2: You know, and I think going back to Harlene's comment about the about the sorority, you know, you kinda have to kind of look at the the microcosm really of West Point. You know, there's 40, well at the time to say in round figures four thousand men uh two or three hundred women as as the women came in so the women were were a huge minority it, just in numbers it just was a reality and so as they they didn't have all the women in one company you know so you'd have maybe two women in this company two women in that company and so on and so as you went through your daily activities you were probably only around Two other women for for the most part. In academics, you know, you, you might be the only woman in the class. So, you know, when when the when the when the women would come down to cross country, you know, they had 20, say, round figures, 20 other women that they could actually talk to. So it kind of bred this really close knit relationship.
0: Right. The curriculum and the lifestyle at West Point is so grueling, especially in 78, when women were paving the road in what I can only imagine must have been a very hostile environment. And it would build camaraderie in a special way. And within that camaraderie, that forming of a team, as you all competed at various events you started placing and winning in both the Eastern and National Championships. And that recognition made its way back to campus. Speak a little bit more about that.
2: Uh, now, the, the first cross country team uh, in the fall of 78, of uh, we went to the Eastern Championship and we didn't place particularly high that first year. But then when we went back, you know, we had a year of training. So we were second that year and then the following year we were eastern champions and uh i don't think anybody at west point and and probably if you really if i wanted to really be blatantly honest you know probably even my own self you know i I don't know that i would have thought when i first got there that we were going to be eastern champions three years later but they were eastern champions three years later so you know that was uh that was a pretty big deal uh And and it certainly showed that the West Point women could do some pretty good things. We also went to the national championships and and we placed in the top 10. So, you know, that was uh, I mean, that was a really significant thing for this brand new team. Uh, And I I think there were an awful lot of people at West Point who were hugely appreciative of, of that.
0: And Harleen, what are those moments like for you? Because listening to this, I'm like, I'm impressed. (laughs) But I know when you're in it, you're just doing what you're doing in the moment. But can you talk a little bit about those accomplishments, what that was like? Well, obviously, coming back off a meet like that and having male cadets say,
1: wow, way to go. I mean, really enforces, I mean, builds up your ego. You know, you're like, wow, this is this is good. And success did breed success. And get recognition from uh, classmates and upperclassmen that were male and uh, yeah felt pretty good and also the faculty coming back and the professors and uh, even the general just you know <laughs> he started showing up at our cross-country meets
0: so that was pretty neat you know just this little team and there's the general and Harleen, in, in the back of Angels in Combat Boots, there's vignettes of interviews of various women who are members on the cross-country team. You share a sweet story about that recognition and how an man recognized your accomplishments and started giving you his lucky stuffed hippos to take with you away on meets.
1: Yeah, that was Ed Shanahan. And yes, those lucky hippos went everywhere with us.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a really sweet story and a fun way of getting some recognition. And Chuck, you were so supportive of the team, you really went out of your way to create opportunities for the women to shine. And once it got you in some hot water, but it's such a great story about how you organized the first unofficial Army-Navy Invitational. Oh, that was the best. <laughs> Can you both share what that was like? Did you
2: went out and found 500 people at random around the country and, and, you know, asked them about West Point, they would all, you know, talk about Army, Navy. You know, that's the game of the year in football. And and the Army-Navy competition is a really big deal. So when I got there, you know, I thought, you know, well, that's certainly something that we want to point to. And, you know, we want to make sure that we beat Navy. I went down to the Athlete director's office and it was talking about the schedule, and and I made the comment that uh, you know I was going to make sure that I fit you know Navy in there, and he he looked at me and he said, well you you can't compete against Navy, and I looked and I said, what? You know I, well, I sir, I don't understand. Now this guy's a retired general, you know, and and I'm a captain at the time, so you know I couldn't be too much of a wise guy. <laughs> But uh, you know I said sir I, I I don't understand you know I mean that's like a cornerstone of West Point is the Army Navy competition, you know that's something that we definitely want to do and he said, no you, you can't do that women women just don't have the, the the wherewithal to to do that they can't they can't really put up with the the, the struggles and the, the the psychological parts of that and and you know <laughs> the, the the pressures of that and so on they just can't they just can't handle those things. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't know, I I don't remember exactly how the, the the conversation went back and forth, but you know, I you know I said, well, you know, I think they can, and he made it obvious that he didn't think they could, and and so uh we weren't gonna be able to compete against Navy. And so for the first two years that we had the cross-country uh, program, uh we were not able to compete against Navy. And so as we got into the third year. Uh, I said, I really want to compete against Navy. And I asked again, and was told that we couldn't. So, you know, I I just felt that that was something that was so vitally important to the women's program that they needed to to be able to do. So I came up with this idea that in cross-country, you know, you have dual meets, you have triangular meets, and then you go to big invitational meets. So what if, navy would and, and Army would both go to the same invitational meet, but we would really run each other within that meet, you know, and kind of run a dual meet w- within that big Im- invitational. So I called up the Navy coach and I said, "You know, hey, what do you think about this?" and And you know he was all for it. so we we both decided we would go to this invitational. And so, as soon as the meet was over, he and I got together and we pulled out all the army runners and all the Navy runners. And then we kind of fit them into a dual meet and and see how it would come out. And, you know, Army ended up winning the meet. So, you know, that was that was the first Army Navy, you know, competition. And, you know, I I kind of refer to it as a stealth uh, Army Navy competition. But, you know, we did run Navy that day. and
1: And I was I was especially thrilled to beat Navy because my dad went to the Naval
0: Academy. So that was terrific. Right. The family rivalry, service branch rivalry going on. Uh, but also, Harleen, how cool to run against Navy and their new women's cross-country team.
1: That was huge. And actually, in the book, there's a picture of a gal that I ran against in in high school. And we were friends and she was at the Naval Academy. So we took a picture after the meet. Um, and, so cool. Um, it just it was a thrill. It really was. And my dad, yeah, we had good family competition there. But in the end, uh, since I grew up in New Jersey and West Point was only an hour away, they did come up when they could. So
0: so was your brother at the academy when that was going on? Yes.
1: Yes, he was. Yeah.
0: So he came to the meets as
1: well. And um, the other thing is Coach's daughters, we actually became role models to them, but they became family to us. And he'd bring his daughters and... They came willingly to the meets and his wife, and they all had their little penance and were all cheering us. And actually, the girls held the hippos while we ran.
2: <laughs> Harlene's mom and dad were two of our best supporters. They came to all kinds of meets. And uh, it's really funny because her dad went to the Naval Academy and he served in the Air Force. And then he would come to West Point and it was an army competition and he'd have an army pennant or something like that. And I used to kid him all the time. I said, we need to get you a jacket that says department of defense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so Chuck, what I love about your, in your book is you share how you really brought those winning opportunities back to the Academy to let the women really shine. Um, share a little bit about how you nurtured that.
2: So, uh, one of the things that I used to try to do, we wanted to try to build as much support for the women's program as we could. And so after every competition, I would ask all the cadets, you know, give me the name of any staff and faculty that you saw at our meet. And then on Monday, I would run off copies of the meet results and I would send that to them with a little note, you know, thanks for coming and in hoping that they would come again and so on well over the course of three years you know we got to have a a, really a fairly nice following of the women's uh, cross-country team but the important thing about that was you know I I wanted those guys to be able to when when a woman came in their class they could say hey I see where you did this or I I see where you did that yeah that's really great or you you did really well in this in, in your race last week and congratulations so you know of course when the when the thing came around with, with Navy, and they could say, Hey, I see where you guys beat Navy this weekend. You know, that, that's really a big deal. Well, the, the athletic director, of course, you know, heard about that and I was summoned to the AD's office. And uh, so, you know, I thought I told you that you couldn't compete against Navy. And I said, well, you know, I, I didn't know. I mean, we just went to this meet and they happened to be there and, you know, I could play dumb. And I, of course he knew I was, he knew I was pulling his leg, but, the important thing is, you know, is they showed that they could compete against Navy, uh, and, and so I, I think that really opened the door because shortly after that, the Navy meets became for all the women's sports became just something that they did, and they today, you know, it's just no different than anybody else. the The sad thing, looking back on it, is is when when you compete against Navy. It's referred to as a star meet or a star competition and and if you win, you get a special star that you get to wear uh on your letter jacket. when I was down in the a d s office uh explaining why we had done that, you know I said, well, you know, we ran against navy, you know we ought to be able to get stars for everybody and he looked at me like I had horns and uh he, he said. <laughs> Uh, that's not happening.
0: <laughs> Harlene and I are both shaking our heads as you tell this story, and you share that in your book. But can you also comment on the time it came for the women to get their letter for their jackets, the varsity letter? What year would that have been?
2: This would have been uh, the fall of uh, fall 78.
0: Okay. You
2: know, fall 78 was the first you know, official cross-country team uh, that we were core squad or varsity uh, at that time. And uh, so we had gone through the season, uh, got down to the end of the season, and, and of course, you know, at West Point, for all cadets, if you're a course squad athlete, getting the letter is, is a big deal, you know, being able to put that on your jacket and, and so on. So uh, I, I sat down and kind of looked back over the season, and I felt that there were, I believe, 10 of our women that I felt, based on our participation and so on during the season, uh, should have qualified for a letter. So uh, I put that in a in a memorandum, and I, I took it down to the athletic uh, department, and I turned it in. And uh, there was a, a female uh, first lieutenant who was kind of the go-between between, between the, the women's coaches and the athletic director. You know, she wasn't the woman's athletic director; we didn't really have anybody in that capacity, but she kind of filled that position. I don't. know, I think it was maybe the next day uh, I was down there, and she she said. Uh, uh, well, you know, we, we looked at this, and in, in, uh, only Harleen is the only one uh, who's going to qualify to get a letter. And I was really taken aback by that, and I, I, I said, you can't be serious. I mean, what? what tell me, well, what's going on? What? Why? And he said, well, you know, the, the AD has put these qualifications together for the women, and, and Harleen is the only one uh, who would qualify for a letter. So I said, "Well, what are the requirements?" And she told me, and it, I don't even remember exactly what they were anymore. But they were extremely, extremely stringent requirements. Uh, and so I said, "Well, you know, why are these so much different than the men?" And and she looked at me and she said, "Well, the, the the idea behind it is, you know, there are four thousand men here, and you know, if you see a man walking across post." Uh, and he won't have a letter on his jacket, you know. Percentage-wise, very few of the men would have that. But since there are so few women here, if you see, if if we use those more more lenient the requirements, uh, if you saw a woman walking across post in in, uh, in her cadet uniform, she would have a a, a letter on. And uh, he just didn't want to see that. <laughs> you know, I, I realize that she was only passing on information, but I exploded. <laughs> and I'm sure she thought I was a consummate jerk, but I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard in my entire life. So obviously we weren't going to solve the problem right then and there. And so I, I went back up to my office and I sat down and I said, you know, let, let me just take a look at these, the, these requirements for women. How would that compare with the men's cross country team? And it just so happened that they had had one of the best cross-country seasons that the men had had in quite a few years, and that's a tribute to John Randolph, a guy who was the coach, he was a great coach. Uh, So if you use the requirements that were set up for women and use them for the men, even though this was one of the best men's teams that they'd had in years, not a single man would have gotten the letter. Well, obviously that would not happen, you know, I mean, there were probably going to be eight or 10 men that were going to get letters. So uh, I I thought that just really showed the ridiculous requirements that had been placed on the women. So, you know, I talked to several of the other women's coaches and I said, you know, I don't know what your requirements are, but, you know, here's kind of what I just found out. Of course, you know, some of these teams haven't even had their season yet. You know, I mean, the winter sports and spring sports haven't even had their seasons yet, but I said, I... You know, this is something that y'all need to look into, and and uh, you know we need to kind of collectively work on this. So the coaches, you know, all kind of got together, looked at what the requirements were, and you know, kind of through channels, raised came basically, and and so the requirements were changed, and they used the same requirements for men that they used for the women. So you know that was a huge win, I, I thought, you know, for the women, but you know when when you look at it you know, it was extremely discriminatory. I mean, there, there's just no other way that you can say that. So, you know, the good news was, you know, we were able to get everybody letters, uh, those who qualified. And, and you know, we had our dining in at the end of the year, and we were able to pass out letters and, and so on. So, you know, it was a huge win, I thought, really, for the women.
0: Absolutely. Harleen, did you know any of that was going on?
1: Had no idea. All behind the scenes. So, Again, we were uh, really uh, tribute this to Coach and his professionalism and fighting the, fighting the fights for us, all behind the scenes.
2: I, I think it's interesting that uh, a friend of mine who was at West Point at the same time uh, w- worked with the women's tennis team. And I put a note in our Christmas card that we sent out that you know, I had written this book. So, you know, he saw that in the Christmas card and so he ordered a copy of it and he called me uh, after he had read the book and, and he said, you know, he had really enjoyed the book, but he said it, it, you would maybe go back and dig out, you know, my files from the time. And he said, you know, i had forgotten a lot of that and I, I'd forgotten about a, a lot of these fights that, you know, we collectively who worked with the women's program, the, the fights that we went through at the time and he said, I'd forgotten about all of that. So he said, I, you know, it was really kind of fun to to go back and look at that. You know, he kind of put, you know, frosting on a cake there, you know, as far as, you know, yeah, that was something that was across the board for for women and and, the coaches. And in his case, he was a Lieutenant Colonel at the time. And so, you know, there were people like him who also helped, you know, as we were trying to fight this battle, this, this wasn't this crazy, new captain uh that was working with cross country you know was there were there were other people involved and people of higher rank and so on that were all working together to kind of get this right and 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 it was made right that that's the that's the most important thing
0: and Harlene, you lettered every year right yep I did I was fortunate I was not
1: hurt and uh so could perform to my best and uh yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of lot of running, as you would say. <laughs> so, Harlene, what was that recognition like on campus when you got your letter?
1: Well, I think I have a picture of me that I sent you that has the 12 letters on it. So I think as, you know, one letter, okay, two letters, okay, three letters. You know, as you got more and more letters, people started looking because it was more and more unusual. Because even with the guys, if you're in one sport, if you're in football or you're in baseball, I mean, you might be blessed and get four letters. I mean, that's pretty outstanding for a football player or baseball player, but a track athlete, particularly a distance athlete, could conceivably have 12 letters. So that's a lot of performing at a uh, higher level. And then again, hoping you don't get hurt along the way because there's know athletes. I know some of my classmates that probably would have gotten more letters, but they were injured.
0: Yeah, great point. You know, these stories are so inspiring when you hear about people coming together and advocating for each other. And it's one of the things I miss about the military, the dynamic of creating a team, of coming together and the camaraderie that develops.
2: The Army really is the ultimate team in in, in so many respects, you know, and so your job as a unit leader is to form whatever that unit is into a cohesive team. And so what we were doing at West Point with the, with the, with the track team or the cross-country team was trying to, to, to really emphasize the team aspect of things. You know, these women were going to be officers in one, two, three, you know, four years. Uh, their job in the Army was going to be to, to take whatever that unit was that they were in charge of and, and, and form that into a team and hopefully use that uh, as a way of helping them as they became officers later on to try to foster that same sort of a team feeling in the units that they that they were heads of in the Army.
0: Oh, that's good. I mean, way to keep the longer term goal in mind. You truly are a coach. So... Chuck, you left West Point after three and a half years? Yes. And Harleen, you had not graduated?
1: That's correct. I, we had a, a coach after um, Coach Hunsecker and uh, Coach Sherman. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, there are so many stories in Angels in Combat Boots that add weight to all of this. But to start up a women's cross country program at West Point with Chuck and then to have him PCS out before you graduate. What was that like?
1: Well, he left actually my junior year, uh, oh, okay. so yeah. I had a year and a half um, with a, a different coach. I would say we all felt the loss of him leaving, but we had bonded as a team and we had matured as a team. So and we had grown in as athletes, so we could handle harder workouts. So I think all that really helped that he set the stage for us to be able to go to that next level and then work with the new
0: coach. And we still had each other. So. And Chuck, what was that like for you when you had to PCS out? <laughs> ah,
1: tears, tears all around. Let's that's, that's not talk about Yeah. <laughs> That was tough. He came back for tough. my wedding, and his daughters were my uh, flower girls. Oh,
0: wow.
1: As was the new track coach, his daughter was also a third flower girl. I couldn't choose one over the other. So I had three flower girls. What the heck?
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. So where were your assignments after West Point?
2: I went to what's referred to as the, as the Army Advanced Course. Uh, that was at Fort Benjamin Harrison. Uh, I got to command two companies while I was there and then became a battalion executive officer and then uh, left and went to Panama.
0: And Harleen, when you graduated and were commissioned as a second lieutenant, what was your first duty assignment?
1: I went to Germany. So I was pulling for coach to come to Germany. (laughs) I was, uh, we would have been there at the same time over there. But what's interesting though is, okay, so I married a, a man from the class ahead of me and a lot of grads do this we got married right at graduation so we the army would recognize the army couples program but i had to go to my school and he had to go to his school and he was over in germany uh 7 months and i we were married but we didn't live together till 7 months till christmas time and that was not uncommon and i think even today it's not totally uncommon right and you were a
0: quartermaster I was quartermaster, correct. And I stayed in for 20 years. Just circling back a little bit, throughout the course of your athletic experience at West Point, you won 12 letters in cross country and an indoor and outdoor track. You qualified for the national championship every year. And Chuck writes in his book that you have not yet been a part of West Point's athletic hall of fame. What would that inclusion mean to you? Oh,
1: Obviously it would be huge.
0: Um, I would be very honored that
1: I know there's a lot of outstanding athletes, so I don't know how I rack and stack with everybody, but I'm pretty proud of what I accomplished there. And I also think that early on, I know coach mentions this in a book, it was different with women's sports. It really was the start of women's intercollegiate sports. Now it's, it's huge, but with title IX and everything, we were sort of at the beginning of all
2: that. Yeah.
1: I was very proud of what I accomplished there and uh, it would be a great honor.
2: Let me, let me just jump in there for a second. You know, when, you, when you're starting a program like we were doing, you gotta have, you gotta have that catalyst. You, you gotta have something that kind of sets the stage and as it turned out, Harleen was, I believe the first woman recruit. She was definitely the first woman recruit for track and cross country, but I think she was actually the first women's recruit for women's athletics at West Point. But whether that's true or whether it's not, I mean, she was our first recruit. And, and so she was the number one runner on our team. She qualified for the national championships as a plebe uh, that, that that first cross country season. And, and so, you know when you're when you're talking to other athletes that you're trying to recruit you you're always trying to showcase what you've got and what you're trying to accomplish and you need that snowball to start rolling down the mountain, so to speak you know and and that's what Harleen was at that early in that early time at West Point and so you know when you look back and you say what was?" one of the key pieces of being able to build a team at West Point, really, it was Harleen. And that's not to take away from any of the other women that were on the team, because they were all part of that. But it's just ironic that she was that first person that really helped get all that stuff rolling. So when you look at at a Hall of Fame and you say, what is a Hall of Fame? It's for your most outstanding people, well, there's kind of different levels I think about standing. And, and if you look back at the women's program in all the years that now that they've had women at West Point, she certainly falls into that outstanding group because of what she did, but what she enabled us to do as a team. And it just seems to me that she ought to be in the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, I'm convinced. I mean, who do we petition to get Harlene into the West Point Athletic Hall of Fame? we got to share this podcast and get Chuck's book out to the nomination committee. I mean, come on. And Chuck, you were also recognized as the Eastern women's indoor track coach of the year and the Eastern women's cross country coach of the year. And you both had such a big part of elevating women's athletics at the academy, along with the other runners and athletes at that time, of course, but since you're both here, well,
2: yeah, yeah I, guess I say this in the book, and, I, and I, I don't say this in a haughty way or, you know, we're better than you way or the finger pointing way or any of that. But, you know, if you look back at all the years now that women have been at West Point, I don't believe there's any other women's core squad team or you know, varsity team uh, that has been in the top 10 in the nation. Once, let alone twice, that group of women really did something that's, I think, very, very special. That is, that has not been done since. Now, you things are different today. We were Division Three; they're Division One today, and so on. But you know, when you look at the fact that we only had 300 women even there, and as I said earlier, you know, our women their day was so much different than the normal college students' day and, and uh, all the things that they had to do and so on, and they were still able to do what, what they were able to do. I think that's real special.
1: Well, what was unique too with us in cross country. Yeah, we competed against each other, the women, but we were friends all in the end, And to, even to this day. Um, Two of the gals were bridesmaids in my wedding. We get together every year. Um, the class of 82 women, and and then our our fabulous reunion that we did 32 years later, something like that. We just decided that it was time. (laughs) It was time to get the old gang together again, and it was really pretty meaningful to do that. Did you all go on a run together?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) We did not. (laughs) We should (laughs) have. All these stories and more are in Chuck's book, angels in combat boots available on amazon.com oh chuck you need to share the story behind the title
2: well you know i as i said, i got there in january of 78 and when the the women's sports were stood up uh they were stood up as clubs and, and they were in the de- department of cadet activities so they weren't they weren't considered varsity sports they were just a club sport and so uh they didn't really have nicknames. It was just the sailing club, the mountaineering club, you know, whatever. At the time, the, the basketball team somehow or another had, had come up with the name, the sugar smacks. And I I still have no idea where that came from, but that's, that was what the women's basketball team was called. And it just seemed like, you know, we needed, we needed something. And, And so Uh, My name was Charles, and I was coaching a girls' team. And one of the big TV shows at the time was Charlie's Angels. And so I really don't remember exactly who came up with the fact that the team ought to be referred to as Charlie's Angels, but it just started. And there was an article after one of our uh, first track meets, indoor track meets, uh, that was in the pointer view, and it said Charlie's Angels did this. Well, once it was in the pointer view, then that was it. You know, we were we were Charlie's Angels, and so you know, at the end of the at the end of the track season, we had a dining in, and the team gave me a present. Uh, it was a cadet jacket with Charlie's Angels on the back of it, and they had had to get permission from the superintendent because that was. I don't know defacing a cadet jacket. I mean, so to speak, there was nobody else had one of those, you know. So they had to get permission from General Goodpastor and and he gave it. So they, you know, they gave me this jacket, which I still have today, by the way. And then, of course, then the next year when we became core squad teams, then the then the Department of of Athletics, you know, and the Sports Information Office handled all of our uh, all of our publicity and everything. And so then, you know, the Charlie's Angels officially kind of went away and they were just known like they were all the other varsity teams as the Black Knights. But that's that's kind of how the idea of Angels in Combat Boots, you know, came to pass.
0: Yeah, I think it's a charming title. And to hear the origin story, I think it makes sense to the time period and also shows a sense of humor. So Harleen, what kind of war stories have you and your daughter swapped about attending West Point? She's like, you know, it's, she
1: goes, oh, mom, we don't do things that way anymore. Or, you know, it's just so much better now. I mean, just it's so much more normal. You know, the women can have earrings. Oh, my gosh, I can have longer hair. I mean, we all had the same haircut. We had like, these little bowl cuts, you know, little <laughs> Dorothy Hamill bowl cuts, you know, that the barber gave us, you know, until they finally got a lady, you know, haircutter there. but. <laughs> It seems like that. It's just so much more normal. And there's so many more women, you know, there too. So they're, you know, over 20% now. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. You know, it's the evolution of the military. And one reason why I wanted to do a podcast is to hear about the growth and change in the military. And I've been out since 2003. So my experiences are so different from both of your experiences. And I like hearing about the experiences of people who served after me. Ah, Again, Angels in Combat Boots available on Amazon. Harlene Coteau, class of 82, and Chuck Hunsaker, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Happy to do it. Yeah, thank you very much.
2: Appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thank you for listening. If you're a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option 1, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year.